welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. This morning, I want you to open your Bibles back to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We have been in a series through the book of Colossians, and this is our sixth message in the first chapter. And so uh, we have seen some truth that Paul is exposing through this series and this message to the Colossians that we've entitled The Supreme and Sufficient Savior. We know that Paul is writing this letter while incarcerated. He is in chains, chains to a Roman soldier, and he's got some truth that he needs to share with this church at Colossae. We saw last week how he spoke of alienation, how we have all, because of sin, been alienated from a holy God. And that's what separates us from God is our sin. And there was alienation, but then we talked about reconciliation. And there was a man named Jesus that came, reconciled us unto himself through the finished work on the cross of Calvary. And we have been reconciled unto a holy God who will one day present us, Jesus will present us holy and acceptable, unreprovable in the sight of almighty God. Paul is combating some false teachers that had made their way there into Colossae. They were the Gnostics, if you will. As we've talked about before, they believed that all matter was evil. There's no way that Jesus would have ever taken on a physical body. And Paul refutes that when he tells them that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He goes on to continue to try to be an encouragement to the people at Colossae. He's going to reveal to us this morning through this scriptures, his mission and his ministry and his motivation there in Colossae. This guy's got a deep love for the lost. He's got a deep love for those who are without Christ. He's motivated to ensure that every man hears the story of Jesus. Paul even said at one point, I wish that I could be accursed and you would know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a man that is sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He desperately desires that people be saved, that churches be planted, that disciples be taught, and that saints be encouraged. And that's what church life is really all about. Lost sinners being saved. And then those that are saved being discipled. And then those that are discipled, then going out and discipling others and churches being planted and saints being encouraged. So through the words of Paul this morning, I want to preach to you on this subject. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is another one of those doctrinal sermons that sometimes I know when we dive into doctrine, it can get a little dry sometimes. And, and I'll make something up every now and then, throw it in to make it palatable. All right. I'm just kidding. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Let's stand together and read Colossians chapter one, 
beginning in verse 24. Colossians chapter one and verse 24. Paul says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man, and in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Lord Jesus, we pray now that as we have opened the word of God, Lord, that we would hear from you this morning. God, would you speak in a supernatural way. We pray, God, you've arranged the atmosphere in such a way that would make preaching effective. And Lord, we would hear from Paul this morning through the inspired words of this man, Lord, that it might encourage us to go and reach the lost, that it may help us, Heavenly Father, to evaluate whether we truly are walking in Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice this morning that does not know you, God, I pray today before they leave this place, they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that sinners would be saved and saints would be encouraged. And Lord, we do pray for that touch that turns a mere mortal man into a messenger of the Almighty. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul refers to this as a mystery. And we're going to unfold that mystery this morning as we dive into Paul's mission, Paul's motivation, and Paul's ministry. So if you're taking notes this morning, I see number one, God's minister. God's minister. As I said, in these short verses, we see a glimpse into Paul's heart for ministry. Paul is a guy that was absolutely sold out for the gospel of Christ and the message of the gospel getting around the world. He deeply loved the people at Colossae, though he had never seen them. Colossians chapter two and verse one says, I haven't seen you face to face, but here's a missionary that cares about people that he hasn't seen. Often we get hung up in the my four and no more, and we don't see beyond our own households. Paul is a guy that sees the masses that are around the world that need to be reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those he has seen and those he has not seen. And he is writing to this church to which he has never been, but he's communicating to them a deep love for them. That should be the heart of every saved and born again believer, but it without a doubt should be the heart of every minister 
that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice with me a few things about God's minister. I want you to see, number one, the source of Paul's ministry. The source of Paul's ministry. Now, if you got your Bibles open, if you can look with me back up at the very last phrase in verse 23, Paul says, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now, he says that again in the first part of verse 25, where he says, whereof I am what? Made a minister. Now, let's deal with this word minister first, and then we'll get to the made a minister. This word minister is the same Greek word as diakonos, which means deacon, which means servant. Paul saw himself as a servant, even a doulos, if you will, over in the other epistles where he called himself a bond servant or a bond slave. He says, as a minister, I see myself as a servant to the almighty. He didn't see himself as someone to be put up on a platform. He saw himself as a servant of the almighty. It refers, this word does, to that that would be taken care of by a busboy in a restaurant. Not a whole lot of notoriety there. I'm talking about just a guy who is willing to serve wherever. Many of our folks today that have called themselves a minister are aching for and deeply desiring a platform and not desiring to be a servant to the Almighty. He's under the authority and under the orders of a king that says, just a common man. One of the ways we can determine that someone who surrenders their life to ministry, that it is a God call to that ministry, is that man's attitude towards service. Now, did y'all hear that? When God calls a man to preach, God uses a man to preach the word of God. See, we're called complementarians. We believe that men and women complement each other, but we have distinctive roles inside the home and inside the church. And inside the church, we're just so narrow. Let me tell you how narrow we are here. We believe every word of the Bible. And it says, well, I know I'm getting in shaky territory here, but the, the Bible says that a called man of God that preaches the word of God is to be the husband of one wife. Now, when you find me a woman that can be the husband of one wife, then we'll have a conversation. But I know in this culture, we're gonna have to deal with that before long. Because we just decided you can be whatever you wanna be. But I didn't, that's not even in my notes. Y'all got me off on that. But one of the ways we can determine if it's truly a God calling on a man is does he see himself as a bus boy? Or is he just desiring a platform? Paul knew without a doubt he had been called, man. He had been, he had been called to be a servant of God. Now, how did Paul get this title of minister? How, how did he ob obtain this title of servant or minister? Was it because of his education? Because of his philosophies? No, this guy was a persecutor of the church. And now he's a preacher of Christ. So what or who was the source 
of making him a minister. He says, I was made a minister. Now we can go over to Acts chapter 26. And Paul is giving his testimony before Agrippa. And he's standing there before Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, I got something I need to tell you. I once was lost in sin. I was a persecutor of the church. I was a horrible, horrible person. And I, I wanted to see this, this movement of Christ absolutely eliminated. But one day I was headed to Damascus and on the Damascus road, I ran into a man by the name of Jesus and that man changed my life forever. Let's just go over there and read it real fast. Let's just talk about what happened. There was a miraculous conversion that happened on that day, but there was something else that happened. Paul on that day, not only was saved, but he was sent. So who did the calling? Watch this. Verse 15 of Acts 26. And I said, who art thou? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. You see that? Jesus appeared unto him for this purpose to make thee a what? A minister. He says, Agrippa, let me tell you something. Man, I was headed to Damascus and, and Jesus Christ just came by my way and changed my life forever, saved my soul, and he made me a minister. First Timothy chapter one and verse 12 says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who enabled me for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was the source of the call of Paul into ministry? None other than Jesus Christ, amen? Now, if you come back to our text in verse 25, he says, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation or the stewardship of God. That's who did it. He's the one that calls people and puts them into ministry. Not because of Paul's talent, not because of Paul's skill, but because of the grace and the mercy of God. He was saved and sent. That's how it's supposed to work, is that God Almighty calls his ministers to preach his word. Spurgeon said this, Spurgeon said, our pulpits across this country are weak because a bunch of mama-called preachers have stumbled their way into the pulpits of our churches. Let me just read that again. Our pulpits across this country are weak because a bunch of mama-called preachers have stumbled their way into the pulpits of our churches. That prayer is a calling that is to be entered into with caution and with much prayer. Now, I didn't get my call on the Damascus Road. But on February the 13th of 2010, sitting in my home office with my Bible open, it just got as thick as it has ever been other than when I got saved. And I knew that God had called me to ministry. I didn't know what it was gonna look like. I didn't know how we were gonna take care of the things that we needed to take care of. I had no idea. I laid in the floor of my home office and said, Lord, here I am, send me, but you're gonna have to do it cause I can't. I went into the bedroom, I woke up Stacy, and I was a mess. Y'all know I'm kind of an emotional person anyway. I'm a mess. I'm weeping. I'm crying. I'm just like, Lord, what are you doing? But, but here I am, Lord. And I said, honey, 
I really believe God's called me to ministry. And she said, I've known that for a long time. <laughs> I just been waiting on you to figure that out. But I can tell you without a doubt that God's the one that makes that call. And never one day, and let me just tell you, church, never one day have I regretted answering that call. God has allowed me to stand in a place of the greatest people in the whole wide world to try to preach to you and try to love on you and to try to disciple you and to try to guide you along and try to and just to cry with you sometimes and to pray with you sometimes. And I never one time have regretted answering that call. I'm here to tell you, there may be some folks here today, you're dealing with a call to ministry. I'm telling you, if, if the source of that call is God, you will never regret answering that call. There's the source of that call. I got to hurry. There's the source of Paul's ministry. Then there's the suffering in Paul's ministry. Notice what Paul says in verse 24. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Many believe that a man that goes into the ministry enjoys just one and a half days of work a week while relaxing the other five and a half. And for some ministers, that's probably true because I've met some lazy preachers. <laughs> so has Royce. <laughs> I'll take that off the tape, Royce. Don't worry about that, brother. But for Paul, I'm telling you, Paul is anything but lazy. And Paul is dealing with some suffering in a Roman prison, chained to a Roman guard because he wasn't going to back down and be lazy. He wanted to make sure that the message of the gospel got around the world. Now, we can read much about Paul's suffering in 1 Corinthians, but he tells us right here that he is rejoicing in his suffering. That's a heavy statement. That is a counter-cultural statement. Many of us, when we suffer, the first thing we want to do is get on Facebook and make sure everybody knows we're suffering. Find somebody to blame for our suffering. Highlight our suffering. Seek attention, but not Paul. You say, how could Paul make such a statement that he is rejoicing in suffering? Because this old boy sees the big picture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, For which cause we faint not, but through our out, though our outly man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more, ex, far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He knows there's something else, and he knows everything here is just temporal. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he stands to preach in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5 and verse 11, he says this, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Paul says, I'm suffering for your sake. 
It's because I have gone out to share the truth of the gospel and I'm experienced this difficulty for preaching the gospel. It was so that they could hear the good news. He says, I'm, I'm suffering for you. Paul could have just kept his mouth closed and avoided Roman prison. He could have kept his mouth closed and avoid the beatings. He could have kept his mouth closed and avoid the stoning. But he said, I'm not keeping my mouth closed because I've been commanded, I've been saved, and I've been sent. So because I'm unwilling to back up and back down, I'm suffering, but I'm doing it so that you might hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. There's God's minister. Secondly, there's God's mystery. God's mystery. Now, verse 26 talks to us about the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generation, but now is made manifest to his saints. This easiest way to describe what Paul is saying here is that the mysteries are those things in the Old Testament that are revealed in the New Testament. One writer said it this way, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. There were some things revealed in the New Testament that were once mysteries. And Paul uses this terminology on purpose because it's the language of the Gnostics. He knew, he knew who the false teachers were and he would employ some of their own language just to say, how about that? You know, it's almost like Paul's goading them into understanding that he's the one that actually has truth and not them. But Paul says this mystery is it's not something that is unknowable. It's just something that has not yet been revealed. And he says, now it's been manifested or it's been revealed. And throughout the Old Testament or throughout the New Testament, Paul uses this imagery of a mystery. There's the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the church, the mystery of the rapture, but the richest ministry or the richest mystery is found in verse 27. And the richest ministry is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now in the Old Testament, you can read all through the Old Testament where the spirit of God would come upon people for a specific task and for a specific time period. And then the Spirit of God would depart. You remember there were Old Testament saints that prayed, let not your spirit depart from me. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon people for a certain time and then he would leave. But in the New Testament, there is a mystery that we now begin to understand. And the mystery is this, the Spirit no longer comes upon us for a certain period of time, but he comes to dwell inside of us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul made it clear in Galatians chapter two and verse 20. He speaks that he's been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives where? 
in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you understand? If you're a believer in Jesus, there's a great mystery that the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who made the lame to walk and the blind to see, and the one who raised the dead lives in and through the believer. And Paul says in Romans 6 that the best way for us to experience that is to just yield to the Spirit's prompting that lives within us. John Phillips said it this way. Christianity is not a religion. It's not a code of laws or a set of creeds. Christianity is Christ. A real living person, one who came to this planet in space, chose to live among us, was willing to die for us, who is now ascended on high and lives in us. I love this. He who once gave his life for us now abides in us to give life to us. He once died as me and now lives in me. Y'all better pick that up. He once died as me and now lives in me. Because you died when Jesus died. He died for you and as you on the cross of Calvary. There was a preacher over in Italy back in the 1500s, a powerful preacher. Savonarola was his name. He preached there, thundering in the pulpit against the corruption of the society. He criticized the immorality of the political elite and the religious leaders. And because of his preaching, he was hated by the politicians and by the religious leaders. And so they decided they would sentence him to death. In 1598, they hung Savarola and then burnt his body. When he received his death sentence, this is what he said. You may kill me if you wish, but you can never, no, never take the living Christ from my heart. The only hope we have is the hope of glory, which is Jesus Christ who is living in and through us. Can I ask you a question? Is Jesus Christ living his life in and through you today? You see, if there's ever come a time in your life that you repented of your sins, placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, became a new creature, I would suggest to you that you've not yet experienced Christ in you, the hope of glory, because it is a transaction that happens when a man repents, a woman repents of sin and puts their faith and trust in none other than Jesus Christ. There's God's minister. There's God's mystery. Then there's God's message. Look at verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul's going to remind them of the mission and the message of the church. And he says, we, he's speaking of Timothy and others, maybe Epaphras. 
He says we are to preach, we are to herald, we are to publicly proclaim. And we proclaim truth. And as a church and as a follower of Christ, that's what we've been commanded to do is to proclaim Christ until he comes. But as Paul says, what he's going to do and when he heralds the, the message of Christ is he's going to warn every man. Now, often when a, when a preacher like Paul or a preacher today stands to warn people of the things that are happening inside of our culture, it is often seen as a negative. And when that pastor rails against sinfulness in society, he's maligned and called narrow-minded. But the job of a preacher is to warn and to teach. And so when I say to you and try to warn you against things like he gets us, let me tell you something. Those folks know nothing of the biblical Jesus. I don't have time to dive into that. Maybe we'll get into that later. We did it. I think I warned you about this a year ago and said, watch out for this stuff because it's going to paint Jesus in a way that is enticing to the culture. Listen, Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. So this, this, this same Jesus that washed the feet of Judas sent Judas to hell. He is a righteous judge and he will not be mocked. When, 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 when we warn against things like that, listen, I'm already tell you there's an email coming. I'm already tell you. People like that stuff because the culture loves the Jesus that they've portrayed on the TV screen. But the culture will stand before him one day and it won't be the guy they've portrayed on those commercials. When I warn you of the danger of the LGBTQIA movement, that it's camouflaged in a rainbow and camouflaged with the idea of love, you better watch out. When I warn you of the political polarization that we as a church sometimes and as believers can get sucked into, we must maintain our testimony even in the midst of political crisis. When I warn you against the dangers of pornography, it's because I've seen the effects of it. When I warn you about the dangers of materialism, it's because we see the effects and on and on and on we could go, but we as ministers of the gospel have been called to warn and to teach. And it's one thing to warn, it's something else to teach. Weirdsby said this, it's not enough just to warn people. We also should teach them the positive truths of the word of God. So let me just give you a couple of them. You've got a love that, can, that cannot be fathomed. There's a, there's a Jesus over in heaven that is living inside the believer that loves you more than you could ever, ever imagine. You've got a hope in heaven that will never be disappointed. You, you've got a glory that can never be clouded. You've got a light that can never be darkened. You've got a purity that we learned last 
last week can never be defiled. You've got a beauty that can never be marred. You've got an inheritance that can never be taken away. You've got a salvation that can never be lost. And you've got a home in heaven that can never fade away. I want you to know this morning, not just by word of warning, but by word of teaching, there's a man named Jesus that loves you, went to prepare a place for you. And one of these days, he's coming back to get his church and we're going to be with him forever and forever and forever. Now, why do we teach these things and why do we warn about these things? To get a crowd? Now, if you preach like me, you're really not trying to build a crowd. You're trying to build a church. There's a big difference. You want a crowd? You want a crowd? Give away a Polaris this afternoon. Let's have a raffle and give away a Polaris this afternoon. How many people are showing up tonight? I tell you, well, let's just do it this way. We'll hand out $100 bills at the, at the door when you come in. Everybody comes, going to get a $100 bill. How many of you think we'd have here at 6 o'clock tonight? We can build a crowd. Now, y'all going to have to bring a $100 bill with you, but... <laughs> I'll put y'all outside and y'all be the welcome people. There you go. You can build a crowd. But my desire, and I believe the desire of the people that gather here, is to not just have a crowd, but to have a church that is sold out for the cause of Christ. Amen? So why? Get a crowd? No. Put our name in lights? No. Notoriety? No. Fame, popularity? No. Paul says, this is why, right here in verse 28, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now that word perfect means complete. That you might be complete in Christ. And he says, so I warn who? Every man. I teach every man. And I desire to present every man. Paul had the desire that the whole world would hear. And what he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we still standing up talking about today. Paul's ministry lives on. And the message is not just for a few. The message is for every man. You see, Paul had a ministry that was marked by suffering but he suffered so that others might hear the glorious good news of the gospel. Most of us in Western civilization, we've never suffered much for the gospel. Now there's folks around the world that are on mission fields around the world that are suffering for the cause of Christ. But for us, we've got an open door to share Jesus without a whole lot of repercussion and suffering. So if Christ is in you, the hope of glory, and I said that the way that you demonstrate it, that is by yielding to his prompting, then when's the last time you yielded to the Christ in you, to the prompting 
to share with every man, to share with every woman. When's the last time Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. I know we just gotten to know each other and we're just having coffee today, but I gotta be honest with you. My greatest desire for you is that you know Jesus. Can I tell you about him? Let me tell you how he changed my life. When's the last time you had a conversation like that? The statistics are staggering. Of how infrequently we that claim that Christ lives in us, the hope of glory, truly yield to the prompting of the Spirit and share our faith with somebody. God, forgive us. And if that's you this morning, you know you're saved, but you want to have the boldness of Paul. Why don't you come this morning and find a spot in an altar? And you be careful when you pray this prayer, but pray this prayer. Lord, would you put somebody in my pathway this week And then give me, Heavenly Father, the boldness to share the good news of Jesus with them. Put them in my pathway this week. And Lord, I'm going to yield to your prompting and share the good news. If that's you this morning, in just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. When's the last time you had a gospel conversation? Secondly, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never experienced this hope that we're talking about. You've never been saved by God's grace this morning. God's dealing with you about your eternity. Won't you come put your hand in mine? Put your hand in Pastor Hayden's and just say this, I need to be saved. We would love to take the word of God and show you how you can leave today knowing heaven's your home. But listen, Paul said, there's some, there's some suffering that goes along with this. It's hard. But it pales in comparison to the riches of His glory. Let's stand to our feet. Heavenly Father, would you burden us today for the lost? Would you burden us today for our neighbor? Lord, for that coworker, for our friend. Lord, help us to find a spot this morning in the altar and Lord, do business with you that we might be bold in our witness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.